I'm a real believer in more students on campus because I think that having that personalised touch and personalised learning journey is much more conducive to actually gaining what you need from a degree, whether that be undergraduate or postgraduate. Hello and welcome to KPMG's Talking Tertiary podcast, where we reimagine tertiary education for a changing world. I'm Stephen Parker, KPMG's education sector leader in Australia. Today's episode involves a discussion with Charlene Leroy Dyer, who is the acting president of NATSEPA, the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Postgraduate Association. Charlene's going to say a little bit in this episode about her own personal background and the work of Natsipa. So I won't give any further introduction to it now. This is the first of a number of discussions that I've had with student leaders, partly about a project that we're doing at KPMG on students of the future. And of course, as you'll hear, since arranging this, the pandemic has overtaken our planning. And so I'll be asking Charlene also about her experience and the experience of the people that she represents in dealing with what is effectively a crisis. I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, Dr. Charlene Leroy Dyer, welcome to Talking Tertiary. Thanks for having me. Now, I have explained to the listeners in the introduction to this podcast that you are the acting president of NATSEPA, and I thought I'd ask you to begin by just talking a little bit about your personal story, what you've done in your career, and tell the listeners a little bit about NATSEPA as well. Yeah, so obviously my name is Charlene Leroy Dyer. I have a PhD in management from the University of Newcastle. I have an undergraduate degree as a Bachelor of Business with honours from the University of Newcastle and I have a postgraduate degree from Melbourne University Graduate Certificate in Indigenous Research and Leadership. I came to study at university as a mature age student. I just turned 30 and decided that I needed to do more for myself, my family and my community. I'd never ever dreamt of going to university prior to that, so it was a bit of a culture shock coming to university. But once I got a taste for learning, it's kind of been more of a lifelong journey now. So I've been a student since 1997 and I'm still a postgrad student now. I'm doing a grad cert in tertiary education management and governance. Terrific. And NATSEPA, tell me a little bit about the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Postgraduate Association. So NATSEPA is a network of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander postgraduate students from right around the country. We started just over 20 years ago. So last year we celebrated our 20th anniversary and we have some really big shoes to fill coming through. So the very first president of NATSEPA was Professor Bronwyn Fredericks, Mm -hmm. who is now the PVC Indigenous at University of Queensland. People like distinguished Professor Aileen Morton-Robinson, Professor Dennis Foley, Professor Peter Radol have all been past presidents and involved in NATSEPA and its predecessors over the years. So it's a great network, but being a peak body, what we do is that we advocate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander postgraduate students at a national level. We sit on the Council of Australian Postgraduates, CAPA, 
We have two positions there, one on their National Representative Committee and one on their board. So we're not only representing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander postgraduate students within our own cohort, but we're representing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students on a national scale with every postgraduate organisation. Well, uh, Charlene, uh, when we originally organised this discussion, it was before the pandemic and the theme was and still is students of the future and what you would like to see in a future tertiary education system. But the pandemic has come along and we're speaking in May 2020 where still quite a lot is unknown as to what will unfold, but campuses may be opening up soon, at least for domestic students. I thought I should ask you, from your vantage point and the kinds of people you represent, how has the pandemic impacted upon their lives and on their study? Yeah, so it's had a massive impact on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander postgraduate students. So there's two separate cohorts here. One are HDR students who are doing their research high degree, whether that be MPhil or um, PhD. And then there's coursework students. So for our coursework students, a lot have had to transition to doing coursework online, which a lot have said in the past they're not conducive to online ways of learning. So it's very, very different. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people learn by hands-on. And so switching to an online mode has left a lot of gaps. And I'm hearing from students right across the country that they're finding it really difficult to adapt to an online setting. Now, look, I'm sure that that's not just our students. I imagine that students right across the country are struggling with that. And as an academic myself, I'm actually struggling with delivering that too. So There is a big difference now, but mostly coursework students, they're saying it's really hard to be online. You don't have that personalised touch. You can't just ask anything, put your hand up. You know, it's all a very different environment. And when you're doing it online, putting your hand up, it actually makes you feel more ashamed to ask a question. Right. And then, of course, we have our HDR students who are conducting research And some are being told to do it um, virtually or do it online, which is absolutely impossible if you're doing the types of research that we're doing. So, for instance, you can't go out into an Aboriginal community and talk to community members. I was talking to a young lady yesterday who's doing her PhD on Aboriginal fire techniques and learning those techniques. So you can't go physically out and actually do those things. So the impact on those students has been phenomenal. The other thing that students have been saying is a big difficult is the fact that, you know, with a PhD, for instance, they're only given a few options by the university. If they can't do their research, they're, they're being told they can take a leave of absence. But then the leave of absence discontinues their scholarship, so then they've got no income or they lose their scholarship or they were told to go to part-time, which, of course, they still lose their scholarship. So there's so much uncertainty for our students at the moment that it's really, really difficult. Well, let's turn to the original purpose of this discussion, which was about students of the future, but also pick up the themes that you've just introduced. What I would have asked anyway was about the future of technology in education. You've already raised the issue of digital divide. I think there's a view emerging that 
the pandemic might have accelerated the future. It's not necessarily created a different future, but it might have brought some things forward, made them more likely to happen earlier. And technology seems to be one of those things. So I know you've already covered it in part, but if you had a message for policymakers about greater use of educational technologies, digital delivery, uh, what would your message be? I think my message would be to ensure that everybody has the availability of the technology, Mm -hmm. but also to have developed technologies that suit everybody's ways of learning. I mean, one of the big things that we haven't even touched that I didn't touch on before was, you know, we have a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students in the Northern Territory that study at Bachelor or CDU, and they may not have any access to internet or a computer within their communities. So it's virtually impossible for them to be able to just convert to online study. Now, let's broaden it a a bit further. You're obviously closely involved in the challenges and issues that students have pursuing tertiary study. And often this involves uh, combining work and family with their study, and it's a juggling act. As an exercise in prediction, how would you see students' lives in the future? Is it going to be even more like that in the future, the juggle, or do you see a different future? That's a really interesting question. What I would what I would like to see is actually going back to more face-to-face. Now, I've just recently moved from the University of Newcastle to the University of Queensland, and the Vice-Chancellor at the University of Newcastle, one of his big things for this year was that more face-to-face learning, more students on campus. Mm-hmm. And I'm a real believer in more students on campus because I think that having that personalised touch and personalised learning journey is much more conducive to actually gaining what you need from a degree, whether that be undergraduate or postgraduate. So although I think that technology has a place and I think it's wonderful that we can automatically, you know, well, with some help adapt to being online, I think that it's imperative that we actually have that personalised touch, that face-to-face teaching and learning, because I think that that is actually in my opinion, a better way of learning. I personally take more in. If I'm sitting in front of somebody, I'm reading the expressions on their face and I'm looking at all different things. I think you can get a much better way of picking up what's happening in the world than actually doing things strictly online. And then universities generally, they talk about student experience and I'm sure they're genuine that they want to improve the student experience. But what would you like to see universities doing so that the student experience in the future truly is improved? It's a really good question. Do we have all day? (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that I have criticised universities for in the past is silencing independent student voices. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of moves from universities to having student organisations where they're not elected by students, where they're appointed by university management. And I think that that's a really backward step because you need to have a democratically elected student process. So I think that universities need to listen to students and say, hey, yes, our students matter, what they say matters. And everybody needs to have a voice because if you're just picking and choosing who you want to sit on, you know, your academic boards and things like that, then you may not get a good representation of students. 
So I think that that's one thing that I really want to see out of um, universities. I think the other thing I want to see out of universities is for universities not to commodify students. We've seen a shift recently that universities treat students as if they're a customer. Well, yes, we are a customer, but we require more personalised service than what you're actually giving us. So think about the students. Think about when, you know, a university vice chancellor, for instance, think about when you were an undergraduate student. What did you want from your university? And are you taking your university in that direction now? Or are you actually thinking more about the bottom line than you are about the students that are coming through? And then I suppose the same question, but addressed to government. What would you like government to do differently in the future? Oh, I would like the government to put more money into higher education. Statistically, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we are the most disadvantaged in the country. But yet, all the time, the first thing that goes from budgets is money for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues. So we've seen that over successive governments for years. Tony Abbott, when he came in, cut $530 million out of Aboriginal budgets. So we need to see more and more money put into the ISSP funding, which is the Indigenous Student Support Funding from government. But we also need governments to step up and fully fund education. I mean, we see that in the current COVID experience. You know that universities are giving dribs and drabs, but now they've decided that universities can't qualify for JobKeeper, which sees that university staff are going to be losing their jobs which in turn makes a worse student experience because if there's not enough staff, then students are going to be suffering. So the government needs to actually just say, hey, we're going to fully fund universities. So that way we don't have to rely on international student numbers or other things that we have to do to raise money. And that way, when a pandemic or something like this hits, then we don't see the huge losses of jobs, of students that we're seeing now. Terrific. Well, look, thank you for sharing your perspective with us and plenty of messages in there, which I know the listeners to Talking Tertiary will have appreciated. So Dr. Charlene Leroy-Dyer, thank you for joining me and Talking Tertiary today. Thank you for having me. Well, that was my discussion with Dr. Charlene Leroy Dyer, the acting president of NATSEPA. We talked about a range of topics, including the issues arising from the pandemic, and in particular, the digital divide, the lack of access that many people in her community and those that she represent have access to basic technologies and also some of the barriers that there are in conducting some kinds of academic work, including research, if left wholly to online means. We also talked about what she'd like to see from universities in the future to do with listening to students, and we talked about what she'd like to see the government doing, and naturally the discussion came round to questions of funding. You can listen to other episodes in seasons one and two on our website, kpmg.com slash au slash talking tertiary, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak with you next time on Talking Tertiary. Talking Tertiary.